We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody, welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Dayas. At Nick Dayas 10 is where you can find me. And I want to get right into it because my guy is calling in all the way from San Diego. Actually, it's not even all the way anymore, bro. I'm, I'm pretty close to you now, bro. Dude, it's it's now a four and a half, five hour drive. And a lot easier than the, the six hour flight and then the, the hour train all the way down into Queens, the little walk where I'm looking around like, yo, where am I going? This is. I can handle the four-hour drive. Oh, dude, now that I know it's four hours, I'm going to definitely, I'm going to come out there one weekend, man. We got to set something up. Uh, you, I know you're a surfer, bro, and a golf bro. I'm neither of them, but I, I think okay. I, can, I can make some exceptions for that weekend. We have, uh, with my buddies, we have, like, your golf score, right? Getting a par, birdie, bogey, et cetera. But if you can't provide a par or birdie on the golf course, you have to provide it in other ways. Mm. Rolling up joints, bringing cigars, mm. bringing drinks. So we call those like bro pars, bro birdies. So if you can't, you can't provide it on the course, you got to provide it in a different way. I, I know you're capable of doing that. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, drinks, beers, a couple IPAs, <laughs> some hipster IPAs to get the party going. You know I'm going to pull up. No better place in San Diego for hipster IPAs, dude. This is This is like... This is the mecca of hipster IPA, San Diego. Yeah, I never would have guessed that. Why? Uh, I don't know what it is. We we but we do truly have like the most lo- local micro breweries in the country. I mean, San Diego's got a crazy amount of IPAs uh, that you'll definitely have to come check out. Maybe we can do an episode of VM like on the beach or maybe we can do it like outside Petco Park or something. Like, I think we could get pretty creative with a little impromptu show. Dude, I love it. When you came to Queens in the summer, was it? No. No, 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 no. December, it was uh, November of last year because Canelo had just fought. It was a November 5th fight, or excuse me, because uh, it was the same weekend as Gaethje Chandler at UFC. Yo, it's been a year? Dude, a year. 
Holy shit. I never would have guessed that. Wow. That just blew my mind, dude. Because I had a really good time when you pulled up. We became friends through a conversation we had on uh, Justin, the wrestling classic. Shouts to him. He, he had both of us on the pod. And then just immediately, we just agreed on like so much shit. And then after we exchanged numbers and I was like, yeah, I think I just found like my podcast best friend. We've just been, we've become really cool ever since, man. And when you came to Queens last year, I still can't believe that it was last year. Uh, it was one of the funner shows that I recorded over there at my studio in, in, in Astoria. And uh, it was funny. One of the conversations that we had, I'm still getting hits on those videos. And it was Messi versus Ronaldo. And in full circle, now we're having this conversation in the heart of the World Cup. We've been doing some on-amp stuff together after all of the games. And I, I think one of the cool questions that I want to ask you is, how are you feeling about this World Cup, man? We have a couple teams that have advanced. Uh, now we're up to eight teams have advanced. We still got two more games in the group stages. A couple of bar fights, which I previewed, I previewed with Allen on the Monday show. If you guys haven't checked that out, go back and check that one out. But how are you feeling about this World Cup, dude? Well, this World Cup has certainly been a blast. And I think the fun part of this World Cup has been with every game or every round, right? You're peeling back a layer on each of these teams. And with every layer that we're getting, it's, it's a new puzzle piece. And we're starting to see the big picture of soccer globally. And you mentioned the, the on-amp stuff. And I'm sure that we, we will reference the on-amp discussions that we've had, kind of recapping some of the World Cup games. Because I think we've had great conversations there. I encourage all your listeners. I don't know how much you've plugged on AMP previously, Nick. But for your listeners who are, who are fans of the show, you guys got to be checking in on these post-game discussions. They've been really good. The, the interaction's been solid. And it's been a blast. I've really enjoyed uh, some of the stuff we've done with on AMP. But one of the comments I made after our last game was, okay, we've now seen three games from the United States. That tells us a full picture. Right, one game, you can only take so much from one game of soccer. Now, though, you've seen three games. After game two, you brought up seeing kryptonites in team. Mm. Starting to see how are teams going to be beaten in the future here. We know how the U.S. will be beat. We know how uh, Portugal might be beat later on. That's been really, really fun to see. But I've had a really great time trying to identify what are the trends happening in soccer globally, not necessarily country to country, but what are the trends that we're seeing kind of like on an, on a global scale. I like doing this with all the other sports that I watch, whether it be baseball changes in the game itself, basketball, the changes in the game itself, the world's cup. We only get to really do this every two years where we get to see the game at a global scale. Uh, so I've had, I've had a really fun time identifying trends in modern day soccer. I like that. And I think what you've seen with the U.S., because we do got to rep the States, made it out the group stage once again. That's three straight tournaments, Bo, that they've made it out the group stage. And that got to be the standard, right? Brazil has won their group 10 times in a row. And I get it. It's Brazil. They've won. They got five stars. That's the world power. Probably a top five iconic sports jersey also, in my opinion, is, is the, the lime that No, not the line, the yellow Brazil jersey. But that's the standard, right? And I think this new wave of players that have come in, missing the 2018 World Cup, I said it at the time, it was devastating for soccer in the U.S. However, the changes they made 
turned out to be the best thing to ever happen to them, right? Hindsight's 2020. Obviously, we're having a different conversation now that they advanced. However, at the time, bro, no more MLS shit. Like, listen, the MLS, I respect it. It's about a 30-year-old league. But when you get drafted out of college, you're 22, 23 years old, and you're playing professional soccer now where everybody else in Europe at 22, 23 years old, they got six, seven years of professional soccer under their belts. So there's levels to it. And what do you see now? Our best players right now are all playing in Europe. That game against Iran was the first time in U.S. men's soccer history that the starting 11 in the World Cup were all non-MLS players. And you see these guys, you see it in their play. I can't stress this enough because I follow U.S. soccer religiously. It's a team that I'm super passionate about. I love soccer. It was my first love. And I watch friendlies. I watch CONCACAF qualifying. I watch everything that they play in. That's why I bet Japan against Germany at 7-1 to one because I saw them suck the soul out of the U.S. team and unfriendly a couple months ago, right? So to me, the U.S. team, it means a lot to me. Nationalism, I get all that stuff. But this team is different, Bo. And it's impossible for you to have watched these games and think otherwise from what the past iterations of the men's team has been. You mentioned that this should be the standard. This has to be the standard moving forward. And I think you're right. But, but for one second, let's, let's look at something else here because you mentioned not making it an 18. Nick, I promise you, had we not performed well in this World Cup, I guarantee the narrative would have been the youngsters weren't ready. Mm. This team was too young. Nick, there is so easily a world where we could foresee, oh, this, this U.S. men's team, they're still not there yet. Oh, they're just too young. That next World Cup is when they finally show up. I'm not going to take this for granted. These youngsters showed up in the final two games, right? Like even in a quote-unquote bad performance in game one, we haven't lost yet. We've only given up for as much criticism as I have given to this defense. The, the stats at some point are not going to lie, right? They're, they're holding teams to a minimum here. There's very easily a world where we could have looked back and said, wow, we should have performed better. No, we are on. We are moving on. Let's not take that for granted, right? Let's not oversee that step because I promise you, before this tournament, I was already thinking, oh man, youngest team at the World Cup. I already know this is going to give me headaches. These youngsters are going to make a mistake. It's going to cost us at some point. That has not happened yet. That could change here in due time. Uh, you talked about the players playing overseas. Perhaps more than anything, not just their own games being... Uh, revolutionized to playing overseas soccer. They're accustomed to seeing overseas soccer. These guys are accustomed to seeing teams from Europe. These guys are accustomed to seeing soccer down in Brazil. That to me has been the biggest part that when a team throws a curveball, they have seen this curveball before uh, and it, it's nothing new for them. So in addition to playing like those teams, they're used to seeing those teams. I think that's maybe the more important note. Oh, man, there's so much to break down there. And you're absolutely right on all the takes that you just dropped. When it comes to them playing in this group stage, it's something you see in sports across the board. When the decision doesn't go in your way, it's easier to criticize, right? It happens in everything. I'm a fan in the NFL. I want you to go for two if you have a chance to win the game, especially when you've come back from down 14 or down 17 
like what the Chargers did uh, last week against the Cardinals, uh, what the Jaguars did. Like, dude, you have nothing to play for if you're the Jaguars. Go, go for two. Pull an upset on a team like Baltimore who is striving towards the playoffs. If you're the Chargers, I mean, shit, you're, you're always going for it on fourth down and going for two. But you knew, like, when Staley put Justin Herbert and that offense out on the field, that everybody was like this on Twitter, Bo, just ready, like, oh, my God, he shouldn't <laughs> have done that. And then when it works out, you know what they do? Delete draft. Backspace. Right? Backspace. Backspace. Delete. Right? So with the men's team coming into this World Cup, you heard the stats. Youngest roster at the World Cup by, like, I think two and a half years or one and a half year. But it's a significant margin. And, yeah, you got the youth. You got all these young bucks going over there. If they didn't make it out the group, it would have been like, well, maybe you needed Michael Bradley and Josie Altador and these old heads to weather the storm. Where it's like, nah, man, you had your run. It's the young bucks. You mentioned how all these guys are accustomed to the playing style in Europe. That's exactly what you're seeing now. Dude, we have the best midfield in the World Cup right now. And I know it sounds crazy, but Musa, they call them MMA. Have you caught that, by the way? I know you'll get excited for that. Whoa, I love yeah. that name. The, the, nickname, <laughs> the nickname amongst U.S. soccer fans is MMA, Musa, McKinney, and Adams. And dude, they have been dominating the entire World Cup. They made a 300 million euro midfield in England look pedestrian. And look at where they're playing. I mentioned this so many times, but it's very important for people to understand this, especially the people listening that are not your... They're your casual soccer fan that comes in every four years. But these guys are playing in the English Premier League. So every week, Tyler Adams is seeing Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U, Man City caliber players. And then you have McKinney's playing in Serie A. They were in Champions League. He's playing Real Madrid and PSG and all these teams. It's like, yeah, I've seen these guys in the midfield. And then Musa plays in La Liga with Valencia. He plays Barcelona. He plays Real Sociedad. He plays. Real Madrid. It's like, dude, these guys, it's no longer, oh my God, I'm on the same field with Messi. I'm on the same field with this guy. Dude, I'm on the same field with these guys every week. It wasn't like that a couple of tournaments ago. So I want to make a comparison. Um, I I'm going to make so many comparisons here throughout this show, just because Nick, I know you love them. But what this U.S. midfield has done in my eyes here is... Because of their experience now playing overseas, they've played in different leagues. In addition to recognizing what works, they're also recognizing what does not work when you play these teams. So I think by elimination, you're able to say, okay, we can't do this. If we want to win today's game, we cannot do this. For me, it is the commitment to playing with speed. This is the youngest team uh, at the World Cup, and they're committed to playing with speed. I'm going to compare it here to a boxer or a fighter who is committed to going to the body. Early on, when you go to the body as a boxer, as a fighter, you don't see return on it. There's no dividends. That, there's nothing that comes back to you right away. But five, six, seven shots down the road, you do start to see the reward. You do start to see it pay dividends. And with this team's speed, with the youngsters, with the youth that they have on this team, they're using the speed the moment they get going, and they're staying committed to playing with that pace through the entirety of the match. And I'm hoping eventually that they find a way to break through in the final 15 minutes or so of one of these games. Maybe it is against the Netherlands, who is not the fastest team here in this tournament. Like you very easily see a world where this Netherlands team maybe struggles with some of the speed from the United States. 
I'm hoping that they're able to use that speed to capitalize in the final 15 minutes when other teams are tired. They don't have the pace that we do. Um, yeah, for me, it's been all about the speed. We talked about the width of this team. When they get wide, they've had a lot of success. But to me, it just comes back down to that speed every single time. Adams, McKinney, they are playing so goddamn fast right now. Even Anthony Robinson going up the left side mm-hmm. has been getting back and forth all day long. If, if you think that's easy, you are sorely mistaken. He is putting in, even when he makes mistakes, Nick, he is working his ass to get back on defense or to provide the offense with support with runs up the left side. I, I've, I've just really enjoyed the speed of this team. Well, I think the unsung hero, uh, not even unsung hero, because it was very it was very heavily criticized when he got the C, and that's Tyler Adams. When they made him the captain bow, it was like, yo, him? You know, how is it not Pulisic? How is it not, you know, someone else? I mean, mainly Pulisic. But the reason why Dest and Robinson can go up the flanks, the reason why Musa could push forward and McKinney could push forward is that you got that, you got that savage in the middle who box-to-box midfielder right now in the World Cup is probably the best player at that position. And he's, he's the cleaner. He cleans up. He allows Robinson to go up because he covers him. And he's also, like, scrappy and fiery. Like, there was one play against Iran where the Iran guy was trying to get the ball from Adams. And he's like, dude, it's our ball. Like, it's our ball. Like, and he's, like, shooing him away. He's like, yo, get out of here. It's our ball. I can take my time. Talking about taking your time, isn't it so much better when the American guys are flopping and it's in our favor as opposed to when you're rooting or watching a soccer game and you have no interest, you're just tuning in and you see the flopping? Is it unbearable? Yeah. Is it a lot? Yeah. But dude, when, when like Musa went down yesterday and they cut to the replay, I turned to someone when I was watching it at the sports book. I was like, this dude better still be on the ground, stretching out, kill the time, gamesmanship. I want that when it's in my favor. So I've seen there's a pretty big change in this World Cup from what we've seen in major tournaments in the past when it comes to calling penalties or fouls or guys taking dives, whatever it might be. First of all, they have been adding on way more stoppage time than what we're accustomed to in previous World Cups, right? The the seven, eight, nine minutes of stoppage time, some people are like, that's too much time. Yo, you want to take your sweet time and go to the ground, fine by us, but we're adding on that time later on. You're not going to be buying time going to the ground. So so that's one note I have is I'm okay with players taking, you know, a few dives here or there, right, if it's in the, the right moment. Um, Adams does a really good job of maintaining complete control of the middle throughout the entirety of the game that sometimes in those final 20, 25 minutes, he's kind of already won over the momentum. He's won over. It's, it's determined. I'm winning these balls in the middle. Once that starts to happen, he gets fouled more and more as the game kind of goes on. You, you saw that a lot in the Iran game. Uh, so adding on the stoppage time has really kind of changed my perspective on players taking dives. The other thing, though, is that for people that don't, played soccer have never played soccer i think they see players go to the ground really easily compared to football or compared to basketball the biggest difference though with soccer compared to those two sports is that if you're trying to take a touch or you're trying to put a move on someone right you're dancing with your feet and one of those feet get clipped you're going down the the the, what you are using to run is the same tool that you're using to create magic so a lot of people don't necessarily understand why players end up do taking dives it is because it's impossible to stay on balance if you're running at full speed while trying to pull off some 
you know, super sexy, you know, footwork of some variety. Like that is what causes the players to go down. Um, I just like making note of that because a lot of people don't understand that. Dude, one time I was watching a soccer game at a bar with one of my buddies and he was bitching and moaning about these guys. He's like, yo, they get kicked and they're on the ground for 20 minutes. And I just bow like this, this kind of speed, kind of just did that with my foot and I kicked him right on the shin. And he's like, ah, man, that hurt. I was like, exactly. You're getting kicked in the bones of your body and like on the side of your ankle. I was like, dude, you stub your toe in the middle of the night, you're down for 20 minutes. I was like, you get, you get stepped on by a cleat? Like, that shit hurts, bro. There's not much that is protecting your, your, your toes there. Is it a, are they selling it a little longer? Yeah, of course. That's, that's the gamesmanship. That's what soccer has always been. There's that famous video I had posted uh, on my Instagram a while back, but it's been surfacing now on, like, uh, hood clips on Instagram. Put it up, and it's the center forward for Italy. He falls down in the box. He's, like, He's like holding his knee. He's in pain. And then he sees his team celebrating and he sprints over and celebrates with him. It's like, dude, that's, that's what flopping for as much as I don't like it. I totally get it. And it's a part of what the soccer culture is. You know what also is flopping is when a wide receiver goes like this and he tries to put his hands up and then doesn't get the call. He's not trying to make the grab even sometimes. Like there are times wide receivers are not even trying to make the catch. They're just trying to get a PI call. There's times when players go to the hoop, James Harden in particular, you could easily say, like, oh, yeah. he's not even trying to make the shot. He's just trying to get fouled. What do you think it is when a player goes to the hoop and they go, hey, and one? Yeah. It's flopping. That, that the defender did not cause you to scream out anything. There's nothing going on there that is causing you to scream. It's just you trying to get the call. So I think we really need to get over, like, the, the, that whole, like, conversation because I'm, I'm just, like, done with it. It happens in every single sport. You're always trying to gain an edge. Um, and in soccer, it makes sense why players go down. But I don't know. I, I've really enjoyed the added stoppage time element. You're not, you're not buying time here, right? We're just going to add this on later on. If you want to take your time, go ahead. But we will play this game. How do you feel about their chances against the Netherlands on Saturday? I feel good, honestly, Nick. Uh, we we talked about the di- disappointing game one, and. I kind of made a comment after that game, though. And I said, if this is the worst game they play, it's no issue. Because that means they're, they're going to be building momentum. And so far, with every single performance, they've, they've headed really in the right direction. And if that trend was to continue, Nick, I know you're a, you're a trends guy, right? When oh, we're yeah. making bets, or we're talking about uh, leaning or edges one way. It's just about the trends. This team is headed and trending in the right direction. How, how could you not be excited in, in that dynamic? Well, yeah, and I agree with you. I think of the teams you could play in the second round, yeah. sign yep. me up yep. to play the Netherlands. I think the U.S. is better than them everywhere but center back because I got that dude uh, Van Dyke from Liverpool who's probably the best defender in the world. They got that kid uh, Gakpo, I think his name is. I might be butchering that, but he's, he's a beast. He plays over in the Dutch league, I believe. And he scored a couple of goals. He scored a banger goal in the second game. But I think they could be had, dude. I think the U.S. could beat them. I think it's going to be another similar Iran type of game. The U.S. is hell-bent on playing these 1-0, uh, 2-1 kind yeah. of games. They're not, they're, it's going to be stressful, dude. That's what the U.S. games are going to look like for the remainder of the tournament for as long as they go. As I pull up the odds here, Bo, for this game, 
it's interesting to see, and it's important to note, and uh, it was something that you weren't fully aware of, and you were like, dude, that's, uh, that's a great call. That's something interesting to mention. So there are two kind of bets that you can make now in the knockout stages moving forward. And it's very important that you understand what these changes are because I guarantee you, Bo, one of your boys that is betting on the World Cup is going to bet on the wrong thing and they're going to lose their mind. They're going to start tweeting at the books like, hey, yo, I didn't understand this. So you can bet an outcome in the 90 minutes, which is regular time. So that includes if it goes into, you know, nine minutes of stoppage time, whatever it is. But then there's also two advance bets. So, for example, when we look at this game, USA is plus 330 on the money line in regular time. The draw is plus 230. The Netherlands is minus 180. To advance to the quarterfinals, USA is plus 175. The Netherlands is minus 235, which means, Bo, if you go and bet the USA regular time to win at plus 330 and they win in penalty kicks, you know what happens to your bet? You light it on fire. You would have to bet to advance. So it's a very important distinction that you need to understand because it's happened in the past. A lot of these sports books, they might not have that disclaimer on there, but there are two different things that you can bet on, and it's very important. If you think a game is going to go into penalty kicks, you bet the draw. Right? It, it, that's how you would play that. So just be careful. I would probably play it based on the history of the U.S. through what we've seen. They're going to be in these 1-1-1-0 games. Either way, bet it plus 175 if you think they could advance to the quarterfinals. Yeah, so I, I did not know this, Nick. Uh, you brought this up on AMP the other day, and I was really glad you said it because I, I wasn't aware of this, actually, and I think it's a really good note to be made. For the United States, you, you're talking about these 1-0 games uh, that they seem so hell-bent on playing. And I don't know, for the, for the sake of our hairlines and the grays that <laughs> be coming in on our heads, it's like, come on, man. A 2-0, a 3-0 win would really do the U.S. some favors here. My one worry with the game on Saturday against the Netherlands is who's going to score, right? Because, you know, obviously Christian needs to be fit, and he made that very, very cool post or seemingly very cool post that, yo, I'm, I'm playing on Saturday. But we don't have a true number nine. This team does not have a true goal scorer. I said it on AMP. I'm going to say it again right now. The one thing that the United States needs is a douchebag goal scorer who does not run back on defense and complains to his teammates when he does not get the ball. Now, I, I want people to really listen to what I'm saying when I say this because people are like, they hate those figures in sports. This team needs that character desperately. They need the Jamie Tart of uh, Ted Lasso. They need the Cristiano Ronaldo. You need the douchebag who complains when he doesn't get the ball. This team is desperately missing that. I'm a little worried about scoring on Saturday, to be honest, Nick. I, I think we're going to really struggle to find the back of the net. I think it's going to take a like an outside-the-box 18- to 22-yarder screamer. Maybe it's off a deflection. It's going to have to be something that's a little unorthodox, I think, to score on Saturday. Not that this team is not capable of doing that. I just... What is the traditional way that this team is going to find the back of the net when this opposing side has the likes 
of a Van Dyke as their center back. The, the classic shit, I just do not think is going to work. You've got to find a way to get creative and, and create a little bit of chaos because that's going to benefit you on Saturday. If you're trying to, if you're the Netherlands and the US, the Netherlands want this to be a clean game, nothing weird happening. Let's just play good, proper soccer. Let's play this the proper game. The U.S. wants to make this thing sloppy. Put shots on net. Do not wait. A deflection works. I don't care. Put it in the back of the net. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of style that they're playing. They're content on this. This is, they want to drive us crazy. They don't want to make it easy at all. And with Pulisic, he's, he's played a lot better since the Wales game. Like you saw that England game meant a lot to him. And then yesterday he had his moment. Which, for however this tournament's going to end and whatever the history books are going to be on his career, we're always going to circle back and look at that World Cup the same way we do with Landon Donovan's goal against Algeria and say, you know what, man? The guy that got us through was Pulisic. And he's the savior. He's the, the LeBron James of soccer is what they've called him. And he delivered in a big moment. Dude also gave up the crown jewels of his family for us. Dude. He, gave up, he gave up his balls. He gave it all up. To get that goal in, man. That, that's, that's American right there. <laughs> Putting it on the line in, in, in a way that, like, if you know what's funny is in America, we have this huge issue with, like, our average sports fans respecting soccer players, right? Mm. Like, the, the common, like, NFL Sunday dude, like, doesn't respect soccer players. Yet in that singular moment when he scores this much-needed goal that's very clean and very aesthetic, he does the one thing that, like, Every man in this country can understand, and that's taking a <laughs> shot to the nuts. And it was just like so poetic that this one sport that gets no respect and no love, this dude scores a goal when we need it most and gives up the one thing that every man can understand. And, you know, it's, it's the crown jewels of, of, uh, of his body. Dude, I love that you mentioned the thing about the football fan because I have a lot of my friends that, of hit, course. hit me up about soccer and they're like, yo, this shit is boring. It's, you know, how do you get excited for a 2-1 game? It's like, bro, you understand that the NFL just decided to make touchdowns worth six points, right? Like when it's a 21-14 football game, it's really 3-2 if you think about it. Like Ghana and Ghana and Portugal, it was a 3-2 game, right? So like, let's not get it twisted. We just added more points to, to what the scoring is. The thing with soccer, dude, and I'll never understand this, bro, and I feel like it applies to so many things. I don't get the obsession people have with hating on something people like. Like, unless it's some weird shit that's, like, creepy or can get you, like, a felony, then I get it being, like, critical of it. But, like, bro, if you like soccer, if you like Game of Thrones, if you like uh, Desperate Housewives or the Kardashian show, like, bro, let people be. We like wrestling. I'm sure we get shit for liking wrestling. It's like, yo, I had a girl ask me one time. She's like, yo, you still watch wrestling? I'm like, nah, just Monday Night Raw uh, once a week. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's on once a week. But yo, like, I Nick, don't get I this. Just, I don't get this obsession. Like, what's the big deal, bro? Let people be. Let people like what they like. They want to play Final Fantasy. They want to play Call of Duty. Like, what difference does it make, bro? It's one way to stand out. So that's always the easiest thing is, right, to be a contrarian. It's an easy way to stand out. So yeah. from, like, an actual psychology dynamic, it's, it's very clear to understand, like, why someone would say, oh, I, I don't like soccer because the rest of the world, like, obviously obsesses over it. Uh, Nick, funny story here in regards to wrestling. And I don't want to take the show off the rails by any means, but 
I did DM a wrestling school here in San Diego. And I said, Hey, I want, I want to, I want to take a lesson. How do I make this happen? So I sent that this, I sent that message this morning. Uh, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Damn. You're definitely going to be like a luchador, bro. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty decent high flyer. The question is, do I go more of like lucha? It's the art of wrestling. Or do I kind of go with like the Southern California, like pretty boy, maybe like, kind of does things the wrong way. He's a little lazy. Like I could do a little Matt Riddle vibe as well, you know, kind of go shoeless, maybe like, Oh, he's got a tan. He's got like, I don't know, like a, a, a shark tooth necklace or something. I'm, I'm, I'm still working on the character, but dude, I, uh, I did hit up a wrestling school. It's like, kind of want to see if I can make it happen. Bro, when you come to Vegas, you got to come and do jujitsu with me. Would love to. Well, I don't have, dude, I have way more work done in boxing. Like I truly, my jujitsu, I am, I'm a, I'm a newbie when it comes to grappling. Now, boxing and, and distance, I've got a, a decent amount of work that I've put in there over time. But uh, I would love to. Uh, I, I'll, I'll jump at the opportunity the moment I'm out there. Yeah, dude. I train over at Syndicate now. It's, a, it's an amazing gym. It feels like a real-ass gym. And I've seen your videos with the sparring and the boxing and the footwork. I'm not trying to get punched in the face. Actually, ironically enough, Antoine Antoine sent me a video because I was telling him a story how uh, I I went one time to one of my coaches and I was like, yo, how do you check a leg kick? Like, you know, I, I know what it is and what it looks like, but like, what's the process behind it? And how much does it hurt me throwing it and you checking it? And dude, he gets up, you know, washes his face off because he was just eating like it's the crumbs. He's like, yo, throw a kick at me. I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah, throw it at like, I don't know, 30%. Dude, I just swing it, shin on shin. Never thrown a leg kick since. Not doing it. I was like, yeah, I'm good, man. I do a podcast. You know, I need to look decent. I can't be showing up with black eyes and shit on camera. Gotta look fly. I was like, I'm not getting punched in the face, bro. I'm not doing no sparring. I'm good with that. (laughs) It's not just the physical, like, black eyes or cuts, though. Dude, it's it's like showing up to work foggy the next day because you got your bell rung. The day before, dude, for me, it's like not even the aesthetics. Like I'll, I can live with like the black eye or I can live with like, you know, cut here, or like my nose dripping or whatever. What I am not cool with though, is feeling foggy or having headaches. That shit like on the real sucks. Uh, you're talking about the leg kicks for people that don't know, dude, you kick a heavy bag the wrong way and it's going to hurt your shins. Like you kick the bottom of the heavy bag and it's going to hurt your shins. So uh, yeah, I, I, I tapped out on sparring after like six months and like your anxiety starts to build as you're going to practice every single day. It was just, dude, it's menacing. I also found like, I get a similar kick in terms of, uh, taking risk or being dangerous. That this, the same kick I got from sparring and boxing, I still get from surfing and, uh, just a lot less concussions, honestly. I mean, dude, yeah. Like people like the boxing. And it's cool, but you could get a concussion, you get knocked out, and then you're out for two weeks. Yeah, and you can't train. Well, like with jujitsu, you get put in an arm bar, you just tap. And for the most part, like unless you're you're rolling with someone who's a dick, they're not going to sudden crank, which is nice. You know, like I'm not going to get you in an arm bar and throw my whole weight back and go to break your arm. It's like, dude, I got to go to work the next day, right? Like I'm not trying to do it. When I roll with people, I tell them, I'm like, hey, man, and especially at Syndicate, there's some people that like are pro 
or they're they're amateurs and they do this for real. And I'm like, hey man, I just do a podcast. Like, just just keep that in the back of your mind as we're rolling. Yeah. You know, <laughs> dude. I I mean, you know, I love like fitness. I I truly yeah. do like love exercise and shit. So when I go to boxing, I'm all excited and I love to challenge myself. But eventually, you get to a point where like I'm now boxing and sparring Chewy. And Chewy doesn't speak English. And Chewy came here from Mexico because he's trying to go pro in boxing. I'm like, Chewy, we just have different goals, bro. Like, I'm not down to fight through a concussion here during sparring. Like, it's just hard to kind of get to levels at that point. I love the idea of jujitsu. I, I, I do want to spend a lot more time with it. But we can we can bring the show back on track. I did not mean to... Uh, distract us in any way that guy apologized nah man that's cool i, li- I like when, when things go off the rail i call it controlled chaos you know and i and i am okay. a professional as are you so we'll segue back into some nfl we got some banger of games dude bangers you know you get bangers in the gym also so we got some mm-hmm. bangers this weekend uh, i want to start with a game that i think is the most interesting both from two teams that i think are going in the right direction they got a lot of talent and there's a lot of history between the two of them and it's miami they are a four-point underdog going to play San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, to me, Bo, is the team that I'm the most confident in betting on right now. I have bet on them within the last two weeks to win the NFC. They've, they're a been-there-done-that kind of team. Yeah, they haven't won the Super Bowl, but they're in conference championship games pretty much year in, year out. They could go into any environment, no matter the weather. We saw them go into Green Bay last year and absolutely obliterate all of my futures tickets and my parlays when they beat the Packers the way they did. And let's not forget, dude, they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Rams, a team that they beat, I think, nine straight times with the exception of that game. In the regular season, he just always beats McVay. And... It's a team where Jimmy G is the guy who gets the most heat. People don't get excited when they have Jimmy G. And it's the same thing with Minnesota. Like, Minnesota's winning all these games. It's like, ah, oh, they got Kirk Cousins. It's, it's whatever. But with Jimmy G, I think this is the best team he's had since he's gotten there. They're stacked everywhere, offense and defense. And on the flip side, you got McDaniel coming in, who has turned Tua into a legitimate franchise quarterback. They got a plethora of weapons. They get Bradley Chubb from Denver. Their defense has played a little bit better. Granted, it's been, you know, it's been the Texans that they played. They haven't really played. This this is where, this is where, and this is why this game is so important to me, Bo, because I feel like I'm going to learn a lot about both teams. Because you look at Miami's schedule, they've played, they played Minnesota, but they didn't have two of there. They've played the Jets. They played the Texans. They've played a lot of easy games. And Tua, since he came back from the concussion, has been lighting it up. But now it's gut check time, dude, because if you want to be taken serious, I think this is a big game for, I would say, for both of these teams. Because San Francisco also, like, what's their best win on their schedule? Seattle week two? It's not really saying much. Yeah, so everyone, first of all, the the, the Niners stuff is legit, right? Uh, because the entire season we knew that the Niners were going to be one of the better teams in football. This is the best Niners team, though, that they've had. Like, objectively speaking, this is the most talented roster that this Niners core has really been able to put together. This defense is really special, specifically in the second half of games, Nick, right? Mm. I think they've now gone 
I think it's four straight second halves that they have not given up a touchdown. I want to say I, I, I might have fucked up that stat, but it, it is they've been dominant in the second half of these games uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball. So one bet I wanted to lay out maybe to you and just see what you thought on a little bit. I kind of like maybe a tie at halftime or Dolphins to win the first half, but then Niners to win the game. You can get um, you can get a tie at halftime, Niners to win the full game at plus sixteen hundred. I think that's like a sneaky. Like I'm talking about long shots here, obviously, but I could see the Dolphins finding a pinch of success maybe in this first half. The offense is a little too electric to think that they won't get something in at some point, right? Like I, I think in some capacity they find a way to get to the back of the end zone, whether it be like just Tyree Kill being too fucking fast for anyone else to guard him, but. I could see them having some success there in the first half. Second half, though, the Niners take over. I, I just think that they're the better teams. That defense is so elite. I could see them holding another offense to a very few amount of points in the second half. So I'm enjoying this like Miami Dolphins to maybe lead in the first half or a tie at first half, and then Niners take over in the second half. And you can get some really good odds on those. I. I actually like that call a lot because Miami is a team that surprised you early, like what they did to the Texans also. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because their scheme is so unique. Like these are the two teams that probably have the most unique schemes in the league. And obviously McDaniel comes from that Shanahan umbrella, but also they jump out to big leads. They're very explosive. The speed, you don't really understand that. All right, you know that Tyree Kill is fast, but you also have Waddle, right? The running backs to get after it too. So they're, they're a very interesting group. And I like that call because the Niners are so dominant in the second half. So they make their, their adjustments as well. And McCaffrey hasn't practiced this week. He didn't practice today. And I think when they did some funky stuff last week when they had him and Debo in the backfield. And they both kind of ran these like little uh, RB circle routes in Madden. It's like these like swing routes. And you're looking at that like, dude, who do I take care of first? It's two guys that could do the, the, the same exact thing, really, because you could split McCaffrey out wide as well. And I think Miami's defense is going to be tested, and we're going to see because Bradley Chubb, since he got there, the three games that he's played, they're averaging three and a half sacks a game in comparison to one and a half sack before he got there. So he's definitely helped it. And when you do have a pass rusher like that, it just takes attention from the other guys, and it puts it on him, and then it opens up more one-on-ones for the other guys on the other side. Comparison number two of the show here, coming in hot. Uh, San Francisco 49ers. If they were a fighter in the UFC, to me, they are Piotr Jan. Right? There's no, like, glaring weak points in this team. But more than that, you have a chance, maybe, in the first quarter or the first round. Maybe it's even the second quarter or the second round. By the time Piotr Jan or this Niners defense downloads and processes the information that you're giving them, it's over. You, you, you cannot let it get to that far into the fight. And with this Niners defense, man, it just truly feels like a fighter who let you have the first round. They let you have the second round, but now they, they've got you, dog, and, and you are completely stuck in the mud. This, this I, I don't know if I remember a team being so strong in making adjustments over the course of the first half. This is a completely different team the moment that second half starts. 
And I don't know if there's just a better team in football than the, the second half San Francisco 49ers. Where are you going with this game? Who do you who do you have? Do you have San Francisco winning? Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I do. I, I like uh I like the Niners to win. Um, but but I do find the Dolphins having a moment of success or or perhaps a, a few instances of success in the first half. But no, I, I, I don't think I don't think Tua's aged enough to be able to outsmart this Niners defense uh, with adjustments in the second half. It's funny that you bring up his age because there was a report that came out. ESPN did this. Uh, I think they surveyed. A bunch 25 of- under 25. Yeah. And he was like 10th. And yeah. How do you feel about those kind of lists, dude? They're entertaining. Like, like I can't front. Like, honestly, I'm not even going to front. Like, I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but, like, uh, Ari Gold wanted to be on the top 40 under 40 list in Entourage. And, like, dude, how I always look to my peers, dude. Like, no offense, but I look to your show, and I'm like, yo, I kind of want to, like, I want to beat Nick there. So, of course, I look to my peers, and I, I don't know. I am competitive. When I run the race, I'm like, yo, who am I trying to beat right now? Like, I want to. I, I'm motivated that way. Maybe not everyone else's, but I, I think it's fun. I'm not saying it's like the Oscars or, or I don't know what the comparison is. not the Lombardi trophy by any means, but yeah, I think they're fun. Yeah. The reason why I bring that up is anytime I see these lists and the first four or five players are not quarterbacks that fit that criteria, it blows my mind, dude. Like Michael Parsons is the number one player under the age of 25. And it's like, if you had an open draft right now, every GM, every owner, every fan base had a chance to pick someone under the age of 25, the first five picks are going to be quarterbacks. And it's not even debatable. But that's not necessarily the question. The most talented player still could be Parsons. Sure, but the list is fraudulent. Because it's not an accurate thing. He's not the best player under the age of 25. Okay. I, I You know what? I have never put on the pads. So I, I am never the guy who's like, oh, this is, you know, this is what it is. I really respect um, when the NFL players voice their opinions. And whether it be like a Quentin Nelson, perhaps, like a guy on the O-line. I love hearing football experts or football nerds nerd out about players that don't get enough love maybe in a certain position that they play like i i constantly hear about quarterbacks and nick you're right like obviously there are six quarterbacks that you would probably take before you would take parsons in a franchise draft but if you're just going position by position who's like the number one guy at their position i mean mike has done every single thing that you would ever ask of a guy in that spot you swung me a little bit. You definitely convinced me a little. Yeah, talented, because I've already said that Michael Parsons is the best defensive player in the league, and I felt that way after, like, week two. Like, what he was doing with Dallas those first two games, Yeah, they kept, you know, they got blown out at home by Tampa Bay, but it had nothing to do with him. Like, he's the reason why they were settling for all those field goals inside the red zone. And then he absolutely just wrecked that entire game when Cooper, Cooper Rush was the quarterback for the Cowboys against the Bengals. But to me, it's like these lists, they always drive me crazy because, yeah, maybe talent-wise, 
But also, if if you're building franchises, like no no one, even if they, even if it had to do with talent, bro, everyone's gonna cater to get the quarterback first. So to me, that's why those those lists kind of drive me crazy. But you swung me a little though. Yeah, yeah. I obviously you're taking a quarterback. It's the most important position in football. I just don't think that necessarily correlates to like talent. I just think the position is more important. But like, I love hearing guys nerd out about what Parsons is doing or. Or again, that Quentin Nelson comparison. Like, I love hearing O linemen say, like, dude, Nelson is changing the game when he is in. Uh, I just I love hearing that stuff because I just don't feel like we hear it enough. Like, yeah, obviously the quarterback's the most important position, but I, I really love hearing when a guy does their job better than anyone else does. I want to talk about Chiefs and the Bengals. And yeah, and I got some notes here. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to open this combo up because one of the guys that I absolutely love watching play is in this game. And I don't think it's going to surprise you, but he is coming back and it's Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is expected to suit up this week. And the what I want to ask you, Bo, is who's a guy in the league? And if he's in this game, cool. But if not, no problem. Who's a guy in the league that you like watching that... Maybe he doesn't start on your fantasy team. Maybe you're not he's you're not the biggest fan of his, but you just enjoy like watching him play. Like a like a real football player is football player. Well, okay, outside of the last statement you made, which is a football player's football player, for like Trayvon Diggs, I enjoy the fuck watching. Yeah. Like I love a guy who goes for the play. Like I don't yo, he gives up a lot of yards, he gives up a lot of touchdowns. Dude, I was doing some work for DraftKings last year, and we were doing these like heavy statistical narrative-based pieces for DraftKings Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. And I was following what he was doing last season. Obviously, this season, you know, it's a little bit back, and I think he's toned down a little bit on the aggressiveness. I love watching that though. To me, that's really, really fun to watch is, is a guy trying to make every single play, whether or not that's like the right football play. I'm not here to speculate, but for me, it, Tra- Trayvon Diggs is the guy I enjoy watching the most. That's a good one. High risk, high reward. That's, that's how he yeah. plays, right? He's going to get you but the I'm ball not back. A Cowboys fan. I'm not a Cowboys fan bitching about it when he gets burnt down the side. So like, I'm, I don't have a dog in that fight in that sense. So I guess that's worth noting, but I dude, That's the guy I want to watch on Sundays. Yeah. Jamar chase for me. And I think one of the reasons why it's, it's so fun to watch him is because of the built-in relationship that he has with Joe Burrow going back to LSU. And then what they did last year, all through the, the Super Bowl, And then even this year, they picked up like right where they left off. And, it drives me crazy, dude. And 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 I've kind of like, I've hinted at this many times and I've mentioned this many times. When it's third and seven and a team lets the obvious guy make the play to convert it, like how many third and eights has Travis Kelsey picked up this year? It's like, bro, you know Mahomes is going to go to him, right? And we're talking about this game right now. You know that on third down, Burrow's going to look for Chase. The Rams all last year, anytime they needed a play on third down, who'd they go to? Cooper Cup. It's like, bro, how do they still get open? It blows my mind, Bo. And you got two guys in this game who do that. Mahomes goes to Kelsey anytime he needs a big conversion to keep the drive going. And then Burrow always looks at Chase. 
when I hear you say that statement, like, yo, how does it happen, right? Like, because you're watching this game and you're like, yo, if Travis Kelsey catches one more ball in this red zone, I'm going to kill someone. Like, you're going <laughs> up against Kelsey in fantasy. You're like, I'm going to kill someone if he catches another ball. What I think I've come to realize a little bit more this year is one, the inherent nature of football, which is like, yo, it's impossible to guard someone longer than five seconds. Mm. Impossible. You, you just cannot keep up with someone. The more they allow like offensive players to get away with physicality, dude, there was a play in that Packers-Eagles game this last week, and you made a great call on Packers plus seven. If you waited till six and a half, you got fucked over a little bit. But um, A.J. Brown going down the sideline, it's an underthrown ball, and I can't remember what Packers DB it was, but is about to make a play. A.J. Brown kind of shoves him to the side. It's a no call, but to me, it was like offensive passer interference. The less you allow defenders to combat offensive players, the more unstoppable offensive players are going to be. But the big note here is, how, how does Mahomes not get sacked after five seconds? How is Burrow not getting sacked? Now, Burrow does get sacked, but like the magic from the quarterback to avoid getting sacked is just as crazy to me as the players themselves getting open. For Mahomes to not get touched for, for seven seconds is insane when I watch that stuff. To me, that's almost as impressive as, as Kelsey getting open. Well, dude, we had Robert Mathis on the show a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. and Great episode, by the way. Thank Great you, episode. Thank you, man. One of the questions that I asked him was about the pass rusher position. And Bill Polian was the guy who kind of mentioned the, the whole, like, the way he built his franchise with the Colts was find a quarterback, protect them, go after theirs. And, dude, I'm a Giants fan. I've seen them win two Super Bowls where the DBs were not the strength of the team. And that's one way that you can combat your secondary maybe being a little suspect and getting exposed. When they don't have to cover someone for five Mississippi and you have a pass rush, it makes it easier for, for you to be able to get stops. This game is a revenge game too, dude. Because not only did they beat them in the playoffs, they also beat them in the regular season. This was the game last year, Bo, that people... There was a stretch where they played the Ravens and the Chiefs back-to-back. -back, and people were like, yo, Cincinnati? For real? So this is a double revenge spot for the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you're the Bengals, if you get a win here, you're at home. You're the underdog. You're a two-point underdog. But if you get a win here, you kind of open yourself up to maybe take that NF AFC North title once again. It, so I'm, God, I'm so glad you brought this up, but the Cincinnati Bengals who like, I guess, historically speaking for the last year or so, I've been like low on in comparison to other people kind of who watch the NFL or who are sports betting. Like historically speaking, I, I don't believe in them as much, but as I'm looking at these odds, right to win the AFC, it's, it's the chiefs as the big favorite plus plus one ninety, the bills at plus two twenty five, Ravens plus seven fifty, dolphins right after them. Then you have the Bengals who are 10 to 1 to win the AFC. I don't know. I know, again, I, Nick, when I talk about betting with you, I, I, like, I'm always just bringing up long shots. I like building that, that, that story of, yo, who's the team here who could kind of pull off something? The Bills, I, I think, are proven. Josh Allen is not as uh, mystical as everyone seemed to think he was, right? He does make mistakes at times. The Bengals have beaten the Chiefs in the past. The Ravens have some pretty clear flaws on this team. And the Dolphins are so brand new and also have gaps on the defensive side. And two is such a youngster. It's like, 
yo, there's, I totally could see how the Bengals could pull off something at like 10 to 1 odds to win the AFC. Yeah, they're, they're getting Chase back. They're getting some guys back on defense. They're getting Joe Mixon back also. <clears throat> Dude, I like it. I mean, you're talking to someone who loves futures. Like, I love futures. Yeah. I know we talked about USA before, but I bet USA to, to the stage of elimination being the quarterfinals because they would run into Argentina. I bet them at plus 450. And if I was to bet them to advance against the Netherlands now, it's plus 230. So I did that expecting them to make it out the group and saying to myself, Yo, they could get to the quarterfinals. It's a nice draw against the Netherlands. So that was a future ticket. Now it's better holding a plus 450 as opposed to a plus 230. So to me, it's always like trying to figure out a roadmap or a path. It didn't work out for me last year, but I was big on Memphis being one of the teams to make the conference finals and then hedging scenarios out of there. I got them at 40 to 1 by like the All-Star break to, to win the West. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? They're going to be a a top two seed, top three seed. They'll avoid Golden State until the conference finals. Then I can hedge out of that. So to me, I like it. I think that's an interesting call. It's it's just hard to go back though. dude. That's the thing. Like if Cincinnati didn't go there last year, because this was supposed to be the Bengal year. This was the year that it happened for them last year. That's why they were, what, 300 to one to win the Super Bowl last year? Or 150, to, it was something crazy. They were like a bottom five team from an odds perspective. but. I think this was the year for the Bengals that everyone was was pulling towards. But I think I think you're getting the AFC representative in the Super Bowl in this game, but it's not Cincinnati. So, and then now let's let's talk about the Chiefs here real quick because just an interesting note, right? Like obviously they're they're the top dogs in the AFC, at least in my eyes, and, and certainly the AFC West. But looking ahead past this Bengals game, I I think the Chiefs are gonna take this game really seriously against the Bengals. One, they're gonna be really motivated. But also, let's look ahead to their upcoming schedule here. You play the Broncos twice, the Raiders, the Texans, and the Seahawks. And like you look at this and really it's like, yeah, the Seahawks are probably the best team of this bunch. I don't know. I see very five very winnable games in the future here for the Chiefs. I, I could see them snagging up a one seed super early on. And, and this game will be a, a big part of that equation. Yeah, even the game against Seattle, they're at home. So there'll be a what like, close to? Uh, I'm, and that that was a stretch from me selling like the Seattle game. The, their next five matchups are very winnable. Is this going to be one that they win though? Yeah, I, I I would take I would take the Chiefs. Like it's we have now gotten to the point where like I have doubted the Chiefs in so many weeks this year that I can't watch another Travis Kelsey twenty-seven yard touchdown run where he's got like four guys on his back as he stumbles into the end zone. I can't do it anymore, Nick. All right. I've had enough of Mahomes going to Kelsey. They're too good, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime they need to play, they just go to him. And again, like we were talking before, dude, it's unbelievable that this guy, third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, just <laughs> wide open and just picks up like 30 yards. It's like, dude. 87 has been with him the longest. Like, anytime he needs a play, he's going to go to him. I, I'm probably not betting this game. This is going to be one that I'm going to definitely have a ISO monitor on and I'm going to enjoy. Uh, it's a weird line, in my opinion. And I feel like they always put out weird lines. There's always one game a week that's kind of a head-scratcher. The other one to me is Denver and Baltimore. Like, the fact that it's eight and a half is just wild. It's like, nah, I'm staying away from that one. I'm staying away from that one. But I do think, I think with Chase coming back, I think the Bengals could pull the upset. And I think it's going to be one of those where 
it's a big game for Cincinnati also, despite the revenge factor. So I think I'm going to go with Cincinnati on that. Yeah, Cincinnati is kind of one of the more unique teams in the NFL that like, yo, if everything's going for them, they can probably be probably beat any team in the NFL. There's also multiple scenarios where they're just like a very, uh, a, you know, they're an above average team in the NFL, but they're kind of one of the few teams in the NFL where you'd say, yo, if they're clicking on all cylinders, they truly can beat anyone. You, there's probably like five or six teams in the NFL that you can say that about. Yeah, and they're definitely one of them. They got the quarterback, man. You got a guy like that. Any yeah. place, any time, he get the job done. Bo Templin, you're the man. I, I appreciate the combo. Uh, I like uh, the spontaneous conversations that we have in these also. The controlled chaos, like I mentioned. Uh, you're the man, dude. On AMP, you can find both of us on there. We're always doing these live calls after the games for the World Cup. Uh, tell the people where they can find you and any stuff that you're working on. Uh, you can follow me at Bo Templin, uh, B-O-T-E-M-P-L-I-N, uh, and that's everywhere. Nick, dude, I've been having a blast, whether it's the on-amp uh, stuff right now. I'm currently a free agent. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, who knows? But Nick, you will be one of the first people to find out what happens next year. Uh, I don't know, man. Just just looking at some options. We'll see see how the, the future plays out. I would love to maybe go live on AMP after one of these, you know, that December card's kind of getting shaken up a little bit for the UFC. Um, maybe there is a WWE pay-per-view we could get on to talk about, but I'd certainly love to. Dude, I love this show, man. Like, no bullshit. I, I Listen, I came out to New York. I went out of my way. I wanted to go out of my way to head to Queens to make it happen because I wanted to be on that show. Um, I'm hoping in 20 years down the road, we've both got these, you know, Huge shows or things are going well. We're both getting paid like crazy. And I can go, yo, dude, you remember when I came out to your crib in Queens and we recorded that first episode? I loved it. I love the vibe that you got going on. Keep it rocking. Uh, absolutely. Because, dude, I, I enjoy it as a fan and as a friend, like truly as, as both things. I, I enjoy this show, man. Man, that means a lot. I appreciate that, dude. And, and I'm looking forward to creating more stuff for you and uh, see, see how long uh, we can make this this fun shit happened. And also, my boy Jared, shouts to Jared, he's fighting Patty Coleman on that card. So I am yeah, a, uh, I am going to be yeah. in the building. So especially if Jared wins, there's no chance in hell I am doing a on-amp after the fights because I will be minimum 12 beers in, absolutely tanked. Hopefully not fighting any Irish fans and British fans because you know that they get rowdy. But uh, I'm excited, man. I'm nervous. Anytime he fights, we've been asking for this fight for a very long time. Uh, I'm definitely going to be uh, financially invested in the outcome of this fight, as always. And yeah, man, we'll uh, we'll definitely link up again, though, for sure, dude. No doubt about it. Everyone, take care. It's been a it's been a pleasure. At Veterans Minimum, as you can find everything for the show, veteransminimum.com. Check out the Monday show if you haven't yet for the rest of the group stage games and we will catch you guys next time everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.